Welcome to About Empathy, a podcast that focuses on patient, caregiver, and healthcare providers' experiences with serious illness. I'm Dr. Irene Ying. I'm Dr. Dori Sekaracha. And I'm Dr. Giovanna Siriani. We are physicians working in palliative care and psychosocial oncology at Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre in Toronto. Our clinical experiences have taught us that there is great wisdom to be learned from the stories of the people we care for and work with every single day. This podcast gives voice to the patient and caregiver experience and what these stories can teach all of us. Today's episode is centered around finding balance in dual roles. When faced with serious illness, it is not unusual for patients and caregivers to find themselves in different roles in all aspects of their lives. Caregivers, who are also healthcare providers, have a unique role when caring for a loved one with a serious illness. It's so different providing care to others for our work compared to providing care for one of our loved ones. Our guest today is Melody. She's here to share her and her family's story of caregiving for their parents. I met Melody with her mom, who was suffering from end-stage lung disease, at a time just before her dad died from cancer. Melody and all of her siblings were very involved in caring for their parents. Melody has a background in healthcare and often accompanied her mom to her appointments with me. I was always so struck by the compassion and commitment she brought to the caregiver role. I invited Melody to share with us what it was like being a caregiver when both parents became so seriously ill. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about what it was like being a caregiver. It's interesting because as a health professional, you look at it and you're able to help people manage pain. Um, You're able to ask really difficult um, emotional questions. You're able to deliver bad news. And then you're able to do it in an empathetic and caring way way and helpful way to your patients or clients. So even me, who I've had practice in doing those kinds of things, when it becomes an ongoing family matter for people who you love so dearly, it's really difficult. And it's really a line that you have to figure out, when am I being the health professional? And when am I being the daughter? And when am I being the caregiver? So as you said, my dad passed away in May 2016, and my mom passed away December 2017. So we had, you know, we had lots of um, experiences with going through all the emotional up and downs that a patient, family member, you know, person goes through from decreasing independence, hopelessness, knowing that you're, you're going to pass away, you're going to end your life, you know, going through all the stages of, of anger and sadness and, you know, along with decreasing mobility, decreasing physical um, ability, loss of privacy, showering, bathroom experiences, like those kinds of things. The good news for me personally is that I was not, I was okay with all those things. The hard thing was my parents having seen me as their daughter and now having to have somebody you know, come in and help them do different tasks that, you know, that they previously were able to manage as this disease, you know, both crummy diseases progress, you know, was, um, was difficult. It always interests me when I talk to someone who is a health professional and someone as experienced as you are with all your years of nursing. Now that you find yourself on the other side, being a caregiver to a patient and having to talk to doctors and nurses about what's going on with your parents, that whole experience, uh, did anything really surprise you about being on the other side that you wish you had known as a nurse when you were caring for patients? 
I think the doctors were pretty respectful for me being a health professional because my parents were very clear, like, you know, this is who she is. She's a nurse. But my siblings were not, and they're not medical. And I think as physicians, the physicians talked very, very fast. And even when they tried to slow down, they know everything that's going on. They forget sometimes to say things that people who are not medical don't get. And it surprised me when I would get home sometimes from a from even an appointment and my sister who might have been with me said I I don't get that like like what do you mean like what what were they talking about and I thought it was so clear and I thought that the doctor had explained it to them that was so clear because they would ask a question and I would of course know the answer and um and I thought to myself oh they did a you know they they did a good job but they didn't clarify they didn't say do you understand or tell me what you heard And I think those are really important questions when you're dealing with palliative. When you decide to make that decision to take on the caregiver, you decide how much you're able to do and how much you want to do. And then you have to balance that with how much the family wants you to do. My parents both were very strong that they did not want to go into any facility, that they wanted to pass away at home. And my siblings and I together decided uh, as a group that we could do that. And because I, at the time, was the one that, in the middle of all this, stopped working to be able to, you know, and also was able to come and and do a lot of that organizing. So it's not like I did 24-7 care. I mean, at the end, yes, but not at the beginning. So we, you know, we had to look together and and, um, figure out, you know, how the people that we felt worthy enough to help us um, in terms of managing those things. I think it was a journey for all for me and for all of us, and just from speaking for myself in terms of trying to manage in a positive way to figure out things like how do you become more patient as a caregiver, um, and how do you slow down so that you don't do everything for them, but you allow people to do what they can. And you were very masterful at that when you came into appointments. Mm-hmm. Like I was always in awe. Your mom. As you know, like she really valued her privacy and independence. Yes. And it was it's hard for any human being. Yeah. And she's such a wonderful woman. But that was the, a big struggle. Right. And I could see how hard it was for you to see her lose these yes. abilities. Yep. But your kindness, but strength and grace and how you helped her get through that was absolutely beautiful to watch and a gift to me. I knew you 20 months. You went Mm -hmm. through the death of your dad and then 19 months later, the death of your mom. And you were so involved. You were the one who made the family meetings happen. Your family is all lovely. Mm -hmm. But what was it like going from being that involved in a caregiver and then that role is not there anymore? That's a a lot of change and a lot of loss to absorb at one time, I imagine. As we went through, we had communication tools, we had online tools, we had ways to talk to each other every single week. And so when it was all over, Mm -hmm. then, and my mom had passed away, then that's a huge emptiness, right? And I think the most important thing at the beginning was really for all of us to talk together to talk with other people, you know, everybody had someone else to talk to, mostly professionals, just to be able to have a place to say, you know, I'm, I'm so sad. This is, you know, yeah. you know, and this is really hard. And we didn't really grieve my dad. Right. Now we've got to grieve both. Yeah. So that was tough. 
And I think the most important thing that we did, I did, um, was to rest, to allow myself to um, slow down and rest, you know, so not to feel like, okay, now this is over, this is now was basically kind of almost replaced what I was doing in a job, so to speak, because I was traveling back and forth and doing a lot of different things. So now I need to regroup, I need to, and all of my siblings, we all need to step back and we all need to do things that for ourselves. So it's okay to sit and read a book, a whole book, you know, in a couple of days. So to give myself permission. And so now what I've done at this point is decided to focus on health and thinking that life is precious. And when you've spent a lot of time looking after someone and also talking a lot about, you know, kind of past experiences, life experiences. And it was important for me and my siblings, I think, too, I'll say. But for me, you know, to look and go, okay, so what now, you know? That all sounds like such healthy grieving to me. Like well, the way that we yeah. hope that people who are grieving go through the process. Because it can never be easy. But it sounds like you've, again, with Grace, managed yeah. to make the best of a challenging and difficult situation. Mm, so thank you for sharing that. Oh, that welcome. was very yeah. special. <laughs> One thing we were thinking of as a group was asking each person we get to talk to yeah. a question like, if only you knew when this all started, is there something when you look back that you wish you knew to ask or wish the doctors knew to tell you? Does anything about the process come up as you look back? I think so many doctors and so many nurses that Mm -hmm. we met along the way were, I mean, they're vital. They're vital to your day-to-day management of your person you're caring for, Mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, I'm talking from not a caregiver that just looks after other people as looking after my family. So the fact that they are focusing on on the patient is obviously important. But to also give a little bit to the caregiver is also important because they're going through their own journey. For instance, you, Dory, you always were wanting to know, you know, how am I doing this week? And it was just a quick thing, but it was genuine. And so when I knew that you cared. And so that's so important. Some days were good. Some weeks were terrible. Yeah. And just that little piece was like, okay, I can take a breath. I can step back. I can become, you know, I can be able to give more because because mm-hmm. there's someone that's helping me to give to me right all, all the encouragement especially with people coming into your home they they would say when they left you know what you're you're doing a good job your care is great but you're also managing so well you know and keep it up this makes a difference and so you know in your heart you know that you're doing the right thing that's you're doing great. what you want to do but And it's great that you can remind us of how Mm -hmm. important it is to spend that extra minute, you know, and look someone in the eye. Because we want to do that. But you saying it the way you did, which was so powerful, just helps to remind all of us and Mm -hmm. hopefully all our listeners how we can continue to do that and how important it is to think about the caregiver. Because that's such a big part of our world and helping patients is also helping their family. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Melody. We're now going to take a short break. You are listening to About Empathy. About Empathy is recorded at Wellspring. 
Wellspring Cancer Support Foundation is a network of community-based support centers offering professionally-led programs and services to help people living with cancer and those who care for them overcome the many emotional, social, practical, informational, physical, and functional challenges that typically follow a diagnosis. No referral is necessary, and Wellspring programs are offered free of charge. Visit wellspring.ca to find a center location near you. About Empathy is made possible through education, research, and scholarship grant funding from Sunnybrook Health Sciences Center. Sunnybrook is committed to patient engagement and care. By partnering with Sunnybrook, we hope that this podcast embeds patient and family experiences in all teaching and learning. To learn more about the education initiatives of Sunnybrook, visit sunnybrook.ca. Welcome back to About Empathy and today's episode, Finding Balance in Dual Roles. So, Giovanna and Irene, I think I just want to tell you a little bit about why I brought Melody in as we think about our discussion. She really did strike me as an amazing caregiver, and I think what piqued my interest is she is a healthcare provider. And she was coming from afar, like not really far, but still, she didn't live here in Toronto. And it really did remind me of when I took care of my parents when they were unwell and they didn't live in the same city and how hard that was. And I thought she brought out amazing points about what we as caregivers need to remember when we're talking to family members and caregivers, but also what it's like as a healthcare professional to be on the other side. So I'm wondering what you guys thought about some of the points she brought out. I mean, I think she obviously is an extremely intelligent and insightful person. And the fact that she had all these resources, like her medical knowledge and amazing siblings that also supported each other in Very this amazing process. Siblings, but yes. the fact that it was still hard for her, mm-hmm. I can only imagine how hard it is for someone without a medical background. You know, you're an only mm-hmm. child, you don't have other family members supporting you. Like this is an extremely difficult process. And I oftentimes think that we forget that when we care for a patient, we're also caring for their support people yeah. and their caregivers yes. as well. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that was a good a good reminder uh, for all of us. I think we want to make sure that it's not just the patient, it's their family and their loved ones yeah. and checking in with them. So I thought that was such like, a great little pearl for all of us, like such a good reminder. And it's just a check-in. She said, just a check-in. Yeah. How's your week going? How's your day going? Yes. I think that's, I think we all need to yeah. be reminded of that. Acknowledge yes. what you're going yes, through. Exactly. That acknowledgement alone can do so much. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I do see the opposite side of that. So working in acute care and working in a hospital, I unfortunately see the other side of that sometimes, which is the focus isn't on the patient and everyone's talking to the caregivers, rightly so. The caregivers know a lot about what's going on, but sometimes the patients, even when they're able to to tell their side of the story, that the focus shifts away from the patient and onto the caregivers. So I think it's it's not about extremes. It's about more balance yeah. and making sure that both are heard because yeah. mm-hmm. I, I, I see the pitfalls of that too. And I think when you're a healthcare provider, there's even a bigger pitfall because your loved one's physician or nurse knows that you're a caregiver. Right. Sometimes they talk to us more. And I remember Absolutely. that. It was like, 
no, tell that to my mom, no, tell that to my dad. Mm -hmm. But they're being respectful and they're talking to you as a colleague. You know, you're living in that world of you are a colleague of theirs because many times you know them, but you're there as the daughter Mm -hmm. or the son. And Mm -hmm. I think that idea of balance is so important. And it's hard in the moment, you forget sometimes. I think I love the way she reminded me of the things I have to keep in my mind when I'm with Mm -hmm. my patients and their family members. That was very helpful. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's so tough because I think you want to be an advocate. Yes. As a son or a daughter or a family member who's a healthcare provider, you want to be an advocate for your loved one. And so being a healthcare provider makes you the natural advocate but then on the other hand you're also the person that's grieving this diagnosis and everything that's happening to them and so I just wonder how she dealt with that was there a lot of pressure on her did she see it as pressure maybe Mm -hmm. she didn't maybe she saw it as um, I'm not sure how she saw it actually well I think when she talked about you know when they would leave an appointment and she would think oh they explained that fairly well and then her siblings would say tell me what they said. Mm-hmm. I think that's uh, very poignant. And she, they had an amazing family. Like I met all the siblings. I, I got to know Melody much more, obviously, because she came to many of the appointments. But we did have some family meetings, and they are an amazing group of people. But I could see the doctors turning to the healthcare provider. Right. There's a healthcare provider in yes. the room. We do tend to talk to them more, and we expect That's them true. to explain it to the family after. And it's almost like you're speaking a different language too, don't you find? <sighs> because then you have more of a tendency to use medical terminology Absolutely. than you would if you didn't know they were a health professional at all um, or if there wasn't a health professional in the room so it's because there's an unspoken language amongst healthcare providers and then you're using those terms and you're making you're making assumptions that everyone's on the same page and you think they'll explain it to their loved ones as well because oh they have their daughter who can explain it to them Mm. so especially in toronto where oftentimes we are speaking a different language because oftentimes the patients don't speak English Mm. and you are deferring to their children. And it's been tricky for me because sometimes it's easier, I'm going to be honest, Mm -hmm. to talk to the family Mm. because you speak the same language. Mm -hmm. It's easier than getting a translator on the phone. And that can be time consuming if you're busy, but you can miss really important information that way too. And so my workaround sometimes is making sure that the patient first and foremost is okay with the fact that I'm talking to the Mm -hmm. family member. So getting a translator, letting them know that, you know, you're talking to their child or to their sibling. And if I get a very positive response like oh yes you know they're my rock I want them to know about everything I feel a little bit more comfortable Mm -hmm. with doing that in hearing Melody it made me think a lot about about my dad who has multiple chronic illnesses and who's been unwell and who doesn't live in the same city as me and how much I think I've struggled with trying to help out and trying to advocate but from afar and the guilt that comes with that and the frustration that comes with trying to get in touch with healthcare providers and then people are not calling you back or leaving notes for people and then not hearing back or even you know my dad has a language barrier as well so when he seeks care I've noticed that healthcare providers think that he understands 
everything they're explaining to them. And he absolutely does not. Because when I speak to him and I say, well, what do the doctors tell you is going on? I don't know what medications that they put you on. I have no idea. So there's a language barrier. I'm in, oh a, I'm in another city. Oh, I have no. perhaps the knowledge to help, but can't really do it. And, you know, I like tried my best to facilitate him getting better care. And it's just, I feel like keep hitting a brick wall. The last time I was there, I wrote on a little piece of paper, I wrote my name and my phone number. And, you know, my daughter is a doctor. Okay, but I don't now understand that you what, say I that. don't understand what you're saying to yeah. me, call my daughter. <laughs> and I still don't, and I still and don't still get don't phone call. calls. Do you find that? So I had to take care of my grandmother when she had a stroke and everybody else was out of town in the family. Mm. And I felt really torn because I was the next of kin, but I didn't want to let it be known too widely that I was a doctor. Mm partially because I didn't want special treatment. Like I didn't want people to be Mm. treating me differently or better compared to everyone else. I didn't want to use it as Mm. sort of like a VIP card. So there was that one thing. But on the other hand, I had very strong feelings about how I wanted my grandmother's Mm. care to go. You know, ultimately she didn't do very well after her stroke and I wanted her to go to a palliative care unit. But the care team didn't think that that was necessarily the most appropriate for her. And I was torn. How far do I push this? Do I use Mm -hmm. the doctor card and say, you know, I think this is what's best for her? Or am I not being objective and I should just let the care team help guide the decision making? That was really tough for me. I didn't realize how hard it would be. And I can only imagine for someone who's not medical having to make decisions, it's even more confusing, Mm -hmm. scary. So that was definitely a big change for me in terms of my perspective. It is hard to know. You try to ask questions so it's not obvious you're a physician. But I think if you're feeling uncomfortable with the direction they're recommending, Mm -hmm. that you start asking questions in a way they go, are you in healthcare? (laughs) Like then it just kind of pops up and they they know because you're you're asking questions because you you just aren't seeing eye to eye perhaps on a treatment plan or something. Mm-hmm. And then your, Which is okay. your specific I, questions yes. sort of give it away. But I think when you are in agreement, you can keep that back. It's just, it depends on the situation, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. I think ultimately it's a privilege. I think we come from oh, a, such absolutely. a privileged place because I think then we can help. On the other hand, there's also a pressure that comes with that. And perhaps if you're the only healthcare provider in a family, there's a pressure and a guilt that comes from that. So I can see both sides of it. Ultimately, I think it's a privilege. Having two Italian parents when they were alive, the first thing they like to tell people is my daughter's a doctor. <laughs> and that was not easy. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately, the only time they didn't say that is because they were so sick. And then no. I did need to be sort of the doctor, right? But it's sometimes you can't keep that a secret even if you want to. Thanks for listening to this episode of About Empathy. We hope that the story that you heard today has inspired you to engage in compassionate, authentic, and empathic interactions. We'll be back next week with another conversation. Subscribe to About Empathy to get a new episode each week. We would love if you could rate and review our podcast, and please tell your health professional, your colleagues, and your friends about our show. You can visit our website, aboutempathy.com, for more information and to read the show notes from today's episode.
You can also be part of our research project. We're conducting a short three-minute anonymous survey to inform us on the content you get out of each episode. Visit our website, aboutempathy.com, and click on the Take Survey button on the top right corner. About Empathy is a Kickback Productions podcast hosted by Giovanna Siriani, Dori Sekaraccia, and Irene Yang. Recorded and produced by Jackie Skinner, with additional production and writing by Laura Takahashi. Music by Jerry Finn and Jackie Skinner. The podcast is recorded on-site at Wellspring and funded by an education, research, and scholarship grant through Sunnybrook Health Sciences Centre. Visit us at aboutempathy.com.